Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Today's episode of Growth Everywhere is brought to you by Single Grain. Single Grain is a digital marketing agency ran by yours truly that has helped venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online. Single Grain covers services such as search engine optimization, Facebook advertising, Google advertising, YouTube advertising, content marketing, and conversion rate optimization. To learn more about Single Grain, go to www.singlegrain.com grow to learn about eight marketing campaigns that we've used in the past to help uh, clients grow, including the one that helped generate over 1,500% return on investment. Everyone, so in this interview, we are talking to Brian Harris, who is the owner of Video Fruit, and that company helps you pretty much create explainer videos. And Brian's actually working on a lot of different uh, cool things and you know, he's, he's created some info products as well, in addition to his services. And, you know, we're going to learn how he, you know, in less than a year, I believe, built a blog that has over 20,000 visits a month and over 10,000 email subscribers. Um, you know, he's a very focused person and, you know, he'll share some of his productivity hacks and also some of his strategies to help get his email list to, to 10,000. I mean, to do that in under a year and, you know, to have the kind of focus that he has is, is something that's really interesting. And I think, you know, a lot of people would kill to have a, an email list of 10,000 and, you know, you'll learn, you know, just what you can do with, with, with so much power. I mean, um, you know, I'm going to leave it to you to um, go through the interview, you know, listen to what he has to say. And he has a lot of resources to share as well. So hope you enjoyed the interview. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Brian Harris of Video Fruit. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, Eric. Yeah, great to have you. So, Brian, why don't you talk a little bit about your background first? Uh, yeah, so I've been, I don't come from internet online business world at all. Um, I've been in outside sales for the previous 12 years, and I've sold everything from door-to-door lawn care packages to multi-million dollar conveyor systems. Um, and about a year and a half ago, I started Video Fruit just kind of on a whim, and it's taken off and done pretty well, and uh, still trying to find my place in the world. But um, but yeah, so I come from a very B2B background, and it's been interesting as far as working with Video Fruit, coming from a place that a lot of the people that I follow didn't come from, uh, just being in such weird industries like conveyor sales and lumber sales and lawnmower sales and ballroom dancing and taking a lot of the the skills and techniques and things I've learned from that world and bringing it over to this world, which you know a lot of times it's the same thing. You just have your own different spin on it, an own different take on it based on your unique background. Uh, so that's been kind of fun, honestly, taking a lot of those things and and converting them into this world. But a lot of things are completely different. Uh, online, and that's where Video Fruit was kind of born, as far as a, as an experiment to try to figure out. All right, I know how to go sell a five hundred thousand dollar conveyor system to one business, but how do I write a blog and get people to read it, or develop a product on that blog and get people to buy it? Uh, so that's been really fun, honestly, just learning from people that are smarter than me and people that have done that, 
uh, and, and implementing those techniques, seeing what works and seeing what doesn't work. Got it. Um, so, <laughs> cool. Video Fruit as a company, can you tell everyone what, what it's all about? Yeah, I wish I could be really succinct with that. But honestly, it's been an experiment. I just look at the whole thing, not as a business, which it, which it totally is, but more as an experiment because that takes the pressure off me to, be, um, to, to seem like I know what I'm doing, uh, which hopefully as time goes on, I know what I'm doing a little more. Um, but it started as a course on how to make explainer videos. Uh, there was no blog. There was no email list. There was nothing except the course. Uh, about how to make explainer videos, and I stumbled upon an interesting way to create explainer videos for really cheap. So I made a course, put together a series of videos that people could buy, and talked about that in a few Facebook groups and a few forums, and it got a little traction. So once the course was out there, and and I was beyond that initial group of people that was in my sphere of influence from just kind of existing and being online, uh, I started trying to figure out ways to market it long term. So that's where the blog came from. Uh, so I started writing regularly to try to drive traffic to the landing page for the course. And over time, the blog has overtaken the explainer video aspect of things. So now I do substantially less service work for businesses and do more teaching and creating products that help people grow their business. Got it. So you, you've, you've gone, you know, you've had the course first and then you've, it sounds like you've gone into a little service and then now you've gone back into kind of like, you know, creating courses and things like that, right? Yeah, and that's a bit of the experimental process and something I think that's really valuable for people to, to not feel like they're locked into something. Um, you know, it started off as a, as a product, then evolved to a very much a service-based business over the last year, which I think can be a very good thing for people that are just starting out because service work is the easiest way to start a business. Creating a product, trying to start a blog and get thousands and thousands of visitors, honestly, is extremely difficult. There's a lot of skills involved in that, and, and some luck as well. Um, but starting a service-based business is, is substantially easier than all of that. So that's where I started after I had the product. The thing that got me out of my day job into doing this full-time was doing service work for companies like Kissmetrics and HubSpot and businesses like that, creating videos for them. Just FYI, everyone, um, Brian was the one that did the video for Growth Everywhere too. So and, you know, it's really <laughs> high-quality stuff if you guys you know, take a look at the intro. Um, so... Okay, you know, video fruit. I mean, you know, since you've been focusing more on the blog, I mean, you know, what what does the blog look like? You know, ballpark in terms of like traffic, number of subscribers, things like that. Anything you can share there? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to share uh, anything you want. So the traffic is around twenty thousand uniques a month. Uh, the email list just passed ten thousand subscribers, wow. and that's an interesting thing. I'm I'm writing a blog post right now about this, and it's about your singular focus in business because you can't focus on, at least I can't, maybe some companies with 800 employees can focus on multiple things. I think it's even still a problem with companies of that size, mm -hmm. but especially if you're a one-man shop or a small shop at all, uh, my singular focus starting in, I think it was May, was growing my email list. Mm -hmm. uh, and my buddy Noah, Noah over at AppSumo challenged me on this. We would talk and he would ask me, what do you have going on this week? And I would tell him my list of 18 things I was working on He's like, no, no, no. Like, what's the? All right, if if you only accomplished one of those at the end of the week, what's the most important one? Which one are you going to be pissed at yourself if you didn't get accomplished? And I started at first. That was really, honestly, an impossible question to answer. I didn't, I didn't know the answer. I just started having to ask myself that question every day. And eventually, over a one to two week period, I figured out it was my email list. The email list was the singular thing that I was going to be pissed if I didn't grow. 
and was the singular single metric above traffic. Because I know a lot of people with five times, ten times as much traffic as I have that have substantially smaller lists than I have. Mm-hmm. And the only reason for that isn't because I know stuff they don't know or I'm better than them at stuff. It has nothing to do with that, with a knowledge base or wisdom or anything. It's all about focus. So I was focused on growing the list because traffic doesn't sell. Email sells mm-hmm. uh, much better than traffic. So if I was going to focus on one or the other, I wasn't going to focus on my email list. So I started just studying, experimenting with 18, over the course of the last seven or eight months, uh, I've experimented with 18 different ways to grow my list and have found one that works better than all the others combined. So I've just doubled down on that trying to grow the list. And come 2015, I'm going to focus on traffic, trying to get it up. Because now that my blog converts extremely well, I want to pump traffic to that to grow it even further. So the email list has been a very concerted effort. And I actually keep, I don't know if you can see it over here, but I keep the number 75 on my board right there. Okay. And that's that was my goal back in May, was to get 75 new email subscribers per day. That was wow. the singular metric I have. Um, so you so have everything one key I did, metric there. It's like startups pretty much. Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah, and that's it because it's easy. Like when I go through my Twitter feed today, like I check it all the time. It's like here's an article about how copy bloggers shut down their Facebook page. So I'm like, right, do I need to shut down my Facebook page? Here's an article about how Seth Godin turned off the comments on his blog. Do I need to turn off the comments on my blog? And you, you get that constantly like throughout the day. You get emails from people with cool strategy and, and tactics. And having that single goal simplified all that. Because all I had to do is ask myself, all right, is shutting down the comments on my blog going to get me more email subscribers? No, quit thinking about it. Focus on stuff that does. Well, shutting down my Facebook page, increase my email subscribers. No, don't worry about that. Save it for later. So by doing that, it just simplifies everything. It's like, all right, what will get me more email subscribers? What's the hypothesis? And then go test it and see what works. Got it. Now you, you talked about you, you talked about that one tactic you use, you know, that really you kind of like double down on, and you're repeating over and over. Can you share what that tactic is to build the list? Yeah, so it's called a content upgrade. Um, I stole this from Clay Collins at Lead Pages. He's the only person. I'm sure somebody. The internet's a big place. So as far as the people that I track, he's the only other person that I'd seen doing this. And he talked about it. I think I heard it first on Pat Flynn's podcast in like May of thirteen. I think was or maybe it was August. Anyway, I heard him talking about it before I even had a blog. And he has a SaaS-based business, so they sell a monthly subscription product. And they would give away, every time they would add a new template to their uh, product, a template to create a landing page, they would offer that template for free as an HTML file that you could download. But the thing is, like, it's substantially easier to use the template inside of their product than to take their HTML file and figure out how to use it and code it and customize it. So, but it was a it was a giveaway they gave every at every blog post where they introduced a template in exchange for an email address. And he was just talking about how effective that was. And I've never seen anybody use that in the teaching world, in the blogging world. Because Clay, they weren't using it in a teaching context, they were using it in a SaaS context. So I started using it. I think the first time I used it was October, November of last year, and when I first started the blog. And I my content and everything just really sucked a lot back then. So starting in January of this year of 14, I started writing really long blog posts, reverse engineering what other people were doing. And the first time I used it in that context was for a Gary Vaynerchuk post where I reverse engineered how he used YouTube last year. And I think it was 10x to subscribers off one technique. And I offered at the very end of the post a unique opt-in bribe for that post. And I think it was a checklist that would show you 
how you could do the exact same thing in exchange for an email address. And, th- and that's what a content upgrade is. It isn't a universal opt-in or like an ebook or something like that that you, you offer as a pop-up on every page of your site mm-hmm. or on the right-hand sidebar of every page. It's a unique opt-in specifically for the blog post that your readers are on. So if you think about it, like think about Pat Flynn, for instance. He does this monthly income report every month. And it's one of the most unique pieces of content online. And I think maybe he was the first person that started doing that. Maybe there were other people, but he's the first person that I saw. But at the end of his post, read down to the end of his post, all of his monthly income reports. Um, and there's a opt-in bribe that uh, asks you to enter your email address in exchange for an ebook about how to write ebooks. And it's like, I'm sure that gets some opt-ins because he has so much traffic to the site, but it's not specific to the reason I came there. I just read his last post because I just looked at it. His last post in what month is October. So his September monthly income report was 5,000 words. So if you got to the end of that post, you've read 5,000 words about how he made $95,000 last month. So what's on the top of your mind as a reader? It's like, all right, well, how can I make $95,000? And specifically, his number one income producer is Bluehost Affiliate Commissions. So it's really specifically, how can I make $58,000 of Bluehost Affiliate Commissions? If he were to offer, instead of an ebook about how to write ebooks, which is a substantially smaller portion of his income, ebooks, ebook sales, if he were to offer an opt in that was how to make 58 or how I make $58,000 selling Bluehost affiliate sales, his opt in on that would be through the roof. In my experience, it would be over 20% opt in rates from that versus. What I've seen on blogs of his size, traffic opt-ins on universal opt-ins, are usually below 2%. He could bump that from 2% to 20% just by doing a specific opt-in for that post. So that's a content upgrade. It's taking a normal teaching post and offering some type of advanced teaching off the back end, a checklist, a video, a Q&A section, a resource guide, anything like that. It can be anything at all that takes that content and takes it to the next level, but you gate it with an email. Yeah, I love it. It's you know we've we've been doing content uh, content upgrades and growth everywhere, and I think one thing that's interesting that that might be interesting to the audience is that even though you know I do content upgrades more for like these videos, and I, I think it's not as it's not as in depth as like a five thousand word post. So my conversion rates are a little lower, you know, five to eight percent. You know, that's my my hypothesis. So are you saying your conversion rates are up to twenty percent when you're write, writing like a five thousand worder? Yeah. So there was one I did two weeks ago. I, I've I've been a little. I've been doing them a little less often on my blog because I we just went through a big product launch. But one of the last ones I did, I'm pulling up the data right now. I think that post got around 3,500 visitors over the last two or three weeks. Uh, and of those 3,500 visitors, 648, I think it is, opted in. So let's run the numbers on that. 648. So that's 648 divided by 3,500 is an 18.5% opt-in rate. Wow. On one blog post, and honestly, that's a little low. I thought it was going to be higher than that. Uh, I've seen anywhere like normally, ten percent would be low. Like some, the, the opt-in just wasn't good, or the hook wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. If it's below ten percent, it's usually something to do. It's not the actual bonus because people. It's like a, a subject line of an email. Your open rates aren't bad because your email was bad. Your open rates are bad because your subject line sucks. <laughs> so yep. the open rate has nothing to do with the email itself because people haven't read the email. Uh, it's ha- everything to do with the open rates so, with the subject line. So your content upgrade or your overall reputation because eventually if you, if you say one thing and do another, that's going to affect your brand overall. But as far as your first 10 go, your first 10 emails or your first 10 content upgrades has nothing to do with the upgrade itself. It's all about your hook. 
and how well you bake it into the post or the podcast or to the interview or whatever. So if in the middle of this video you make a plug for the con for the upgrade you're going to have off the back end of it, your um, open rates and your conversion rates are going to be much higher than if you wait to the very end of the video because the, the people watching at the end of the video are going to be less than the people watching at the beginning. Right. Even if it's a great video, you're doing good to get 50% of the people that started to finish. And if your call to action is at the end, you have 50% of the only 50% of the people that started actually watching it to even have a chance to do it. So your conversion rates are naturally going to be lower. Mm -hmm. So there's several things you can do to increase that. You can have a call to action at the very beginning, which I do regularly. You can have some soft call to actions throughout the blog post to kind of more of an open loop that gets them reading until the end and then have another hard call to action at the end. Uh, and just stuff like that and having good hooks and, and asking yourself, not asking yourself the question of how can I get more email subscribers, but asking yourself the question, what would I want if I was reading this post? Like what's something that after you've like spilled everything you know into this post, ask yourself, what else do they need? Could, could I show myself doing what I just described in this post and just record it and offer that as a bonus? Because people love that kind of stuff. If I just went through 3,000 words on how to set up a content upgrade in MailChimp, like that's kind of confusing, honestly, even if I do a great job of describing it. But what I would want if I was my reader would be for me just to watch you doing it, like to put the camera over my shoulder and just like show you how I do it. And that's very valuable. And if you have your hook written right and you present that to the readers well, your conversion rate will be high. So. The, the upgrade has to be good, yes. Your hook has to be good, and you have to do a good job of showing it throughout the post. Got it. So, you know, the, these 5,000 worders, or let's just say, that, you know, 3,000 to 5,000 worders, you know, how long are, how long is it taking you to finish one of these? And then on top of that, you know, it's a two-pronged question, how long is it taking you to do the content upgrade? Yes, yeah, so the post itself, it's taken me a shorter amount of time now, honestly. You, I mean, when I first started, writing the really in-depth post in January, I mean, I would spend 15 to 20 hours on a post and still occasionally do. Like, I don't think of it of how long does it take me to write it. I really ask myself what needs to be written, and then I'll write it until it's good. Um, so now probably my average time is five to eight hours on a post. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm working on one right now that I've been working on for two weeks, um, and it's about a giveaway that I did and showing people, you know, the results of my giveaway and then every step, the I think there's seven different ways I promoted it and every detail of how they could do it. So if somebody has an email list of 500 people, you can run a giveaway and get 2,000 subscribers on the back end of that. So I'm going through like every step of the process, uh, and I bet my total time in that post is going to be over 15 hours. Uh, but that's fine. Like It'll do extremely well. Um, so for the, for the post itself, anywhere probably 5 to 20 hours, just depending on how well I'm flowing in the post. Uh, but the content upgrade, I try to spend less than an hour on it. Um, and, but I, I don't make the content upgrade at the beginning. I make it at the end. And I just go back through the post. And usually by the time a 3,000-word post that took me 20 hours is written, my mind is like overflowing with different ideas of what I could do for the content upgrade. And I have a list of 11 different content upgrades and types and how you can make them. Uh, that if people want, go to videofruit.com slash content upgrade. And there's a list there you can kind of go through, and it'll help you. And it, it really teaches you how to do them in less than 30 minutes from start to finish setting up the tech side and everything and gives you 11 different types that you can make in, in under 30 minutes. So the content upgrade shouldn't take you a ton of time. The post should be the majority of your efforts. The content upgrade should be an appendix on the end of it. 
Right. It's more of a it's more of a convenience thing, and I, I think almost them giving you the emails is is them way of is a way of them thanking you almost, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and it's the the email thing is interesting. So all this has been a bit of a hypothesis for the last uh, ten months. Like it's converted better than anything I've ever seen on any platform, and I've worked with some pretty big names that have a lot of high traffic, and it worked like consistently has performed at a really high level over time. But I had ne- like the ultimate test of it isn't your conversion rate. The ultimate test is will people buy from you? <laughs> like that's great. You have an email list of ten thousand people, Brian. Like will people pay you money? Like if you have a product, are people going to buy it from you? Because that that judges the quality of the list. Like you can go buy a list and have a hundred thousand people tomorrow, but the conversion rate is going to be extremely low. So my test, uh, let's see, I guess it's about a month ago. I launched my first product since the explainer video course, which I didn't even have an email list at the time. I launched my first product a month ago, and really part of it was I hadn't created a product in a while. This product needed to exist, but kind of my selfish number one intent of the product was to gauge the email tactics I've been using, specifically the content upgrades, to mm-hmm. see if it was pulling in quality subscribers that were, you know, that liked me, that wanted a product, that would pay money, um, and it validated. It did extremely well. So my goal was to sell 100 copies in four days, and the list I sent it to was a subset of the main list. It was 6,500 people, and it sold out before my deadline. So that was really, honestly, the true validator of the technique overall was to see if people will pay for it. So you sold a hundred before the hundred was the goal, and you hit that way before the deadline. Is that correct? Yeah, and I had all kind of problems with payment processor stuff, so it probably would have sold out. I think it sold out like in three days, and it was supposed to sell out in four days. Um, so yeah, it was sold out and, and did well. So um, I don't remember what your question was now, but but yeah, the, the ultimate <laughs> validator isn't how big of a list you can get. Like that's my goal, but kind of an underlying piece of that is quality. You yeah. have to get quality people. And the content upgrade, I feel like, makes people be more committed because you're, you're just giving to them. You're giving, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving. And one day, eventually, you'll ask. So, like, we have a next-door neighbor. Her name is Charlotte. And her husband died three or four years ago. And we'll do stuff for her occasionally, like, just because she – like, her garbage cans were out the other day, and she was going on vacation. So, we pulled her garbage cans in for her. And she needed a lawn guy. So, we, like, got a lawn guy to take her. Like, just stuff – People do like natural stuff that if your neighbor is laying in the middle of the street bleeding, you go help them, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we give, we give, we give, we give. If one day we had, you know, some guests over and we, we ran out of milk, if I called her and asked her for milk, she would run the milk over. Not because I want, not because I asked her to, not because any of that, but, but because people naturally reciprocate when you give to them. Um, and that's kind of the motto I've tried to lead with through the service work. Like that approach got me the Kissmetrics contract. That approach has has always produced dividends every time I've used it, uh, whether that's directly with the person I approached it with or not. And it and it works on the blog as well. It's just like give like crazy, and then ask for something occasionally. And people like I had multiple people emails like, "Hey, I don't even know what you're selling, but here's some money because I want to buy it from you." Some guy like. Googled the name of the product before it was even out and somehow found a sales page that was ungated in the order form and ordered it before it was even available to launch. Like people just wanted to pay me because they had gotten so much from me over time. Again, nothing about me. It's not about me at all. It's about just helping people. And if you can find a way to do that via teaching, via creating software, via making videos, whatever it is, you won't have a problem selling your service or selling your product when the time comes. 
Cool. Let's talk about that Kiss Metrics contract. What did you do exactly to, to get that contract? Yeah, so the Explainer video course was pre-selling in May, and I was at a day job, and this kind of comes back to number one focus again. My number one focus at the time was quitting my day job. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a revenue, I guess it was a revenue number. It wasn't creating a product. It wasn't offering a service. It was like, what's the quickest way I can get out? So I had, had uh, validated the product by pre-selling it to 15 or 20 people, and then I was creating it. And it was going to take me a little while. And even then, I knew once I had the product created, there, like I wasn't going to be having a ton of sales because I hadn't figured out traffic. I didn't even know an email list was a thing. Like none of that. And this was a little less than a year ago, uh, or a little more than a year ago. Uh, I, I just didn't know any way to actually market it sustainably long term. So, but I knew I could offer creating videos for people as a service to people. And I had a B two B background where I knew how to go out and get a contract with people. So I combined those two things together. I can make video. I know how to go get contracts. So what I did was made a list of um, five people that I would like to work for. And like I would want to go offer video for. And that was people that I followed online already. So I was fairly familiar with what they were doing. And it was people uh, that had money. So that meant that they were posting on their blog at least three times a week and that they had a product they were selling that was successful. So they had income coming in from it. So I'm not pitching a mom blog that posts three times a week and reviews books. Like she's not really making money off the blog. Um, not that no mom blogs are. They, a lot of them do insanely well, um, but the ones I followed weren't. So N Neil Patel was somebody I'd followed on Quick Sprout um, for a long time. I'd never, honestly, ever read the Kiss Metrics blog at all, but I knew he had Quick Sprout. I'd followed him, um, and he was the first person I pitched. And I just waited till he, like, I think he since at the time he was sending emails out three times a week. He was posting on his blog three times a week. And uh, I found, I did a little research on Kissmetrics, found that uh, one of the most popular ways they grew their business was by making infographics. They would make an infographic, post it on their blog, and then go out and, and share it with other people, and they would get a lot of traffic from it. Somehow, magically, they got sales off of it. I didn't even care about all the technique. I just knew infographics were important. So I went to their, they have an archived infographic page on their site and found the most popular infographic they had. Uh, and it was one on, I think it was the psychology of color. And it was from 2010. So it was pretty old, three or four years old at the time, and had thousands and thousands of shares. So I just took that infographic and turned it into a video. So it was an infographic video, uh, which at the time, Kissmetrics, I think, had two videos on their whole YouTube account. And this is a, you know, a really popular blog, basically ignored video. Um, so I turned it into an infographic video, waited till Neil sent out one of his blog posts, and just replied to the blog post, said, Hey, Neil. I love your work. Um, just wanted to make this video just to say thank you, and attached as a video of one of your popular infographics. And like in less than three minutes, he responded back. This is awesome. And then copied me back into a thread with a couple of their blog guys uh, to talk. You know, how could we team up long term? And that turned into me making in-person videos for them for the past year and a couple months. I guess it's been thirteen or fourteen months. I've been making videos for them. The interesting thing about that was I initially approached them about doing these infographic videos, and we were going to turn all of their infographics into videos, but we turned out making these in-person explainer videos, or it was me on camera talking. I had never made an in-person video in my life before, like a professional video where I was teaching something. I'd never written a blog post and had never made a video like that. They just said, hey, we would kind of like to turn these blog posts, some of our popular blog posts, into videos. Can you do that? So I said, yep, and then figured out how to do it. <laughs> like I'd, I'd never done any of that before. So that's a good lesson in just make it up as you go. 
Right. Uh, you don't have to have all your crap together. Just, you know, present yourself in a way that is put yourself in a giving mode where you're giving to people and then opportunity will present itself. And and I've taken that exact same approach with future video contracts. And just it just works extremely well because I'm not asking them if I can make a video for them. I just made the video and gave it to them. And that, that's a completely different dynamic than approaching me and saying, hey, Brian, I do SEO. Um, can I do SEO for you? It'll cost you $300 a month. I'm like, ah. I mean, there's so many questions. There's so many easy ways I can say no to that. Versus if you send me a 35-page report and say, hey, uh, I've analyzed every blog post you've ever written, and I've gone over and realized you have 10 posts that have gotten 500 shares, and you've got 15 backlinks, and you've never done anything. What I would like to do for you is to take those and to apply these seven techniques for you. And my estimated results is we could get you another X number of traffic from that. And here's a report showing you every detail of how I figured that out. It'll cost you $300 a month. Like I say yes to that instantly because you, you've taken away all the no's. You're not a Yahoo. You're in an industry that's filled with a bunch of Yahoo's with the SEO. And you've done your research. You know who I am. You've read my stuff. You've found a pain point with me. And you've made it really easy to say yes. Um, you approach service-based contracts with that approach. And your success rates go to the roof. The guy that's doing the content upgrades for you uses that exact same approach. David's like, that's what he does. And, you know, and, and it works extremely well. Like that technique is extremely effective. Oh, yeah. And just to give the, the audience a little more uh, insight on that, you know, Davis actually spent 20 minutes to make a really high quality video. I think he included a PDF with it, too. I'm like, hey, here's what we here's what can be done in your blog. You know, it's it's it's. It was just really well done. It was really polished, and that's what really impressed me. It's like exactly what you do with Neil. So yeah, it, I totally agree with that. It's all about giving. Um, yeah, and it works. Like it isn't an internet marketing technique at all. Like, mm -hmm. don't think about it like that. Like, think about it. If you're a handyman and you you're trying to find work, and you come to my house and say, "Hey, Brian, I would like to clean your gutters for you." And it's like, all right, well, like, do you have insurance? Are you bonded? Like, I don't I don't know what all you have going on. Versus if now, this would be kind of weird. Maybe this isn't the best scenario. But if you just, like, if I came home and my gutters were clean, you said, hey, I cleaned your gutters for you. I'd like to clean your gutters every three months for you. It'll cost you 20 bucks a month. Well, heck, yeah, that's cool. One, why were you on my roof? But, you know, it's, just, it's the doing and then asking yep. uh, is, is extremely effective. And you have to do quality work. You, you can't do crap work and expect results. But assuming you're doing good stuff and you're assuming you're hitting pain points, just do it and then ask. Yeah, totally. And, okay. Great. So I want to I want to uh, change gears a little bit here. You know, you, you talked about selling uh, five hundred thousand dollar you know conveyor systems. You know, what are some lessons you learned from selling super high products, uh, super high value products like that? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, lessons I learned. Um, so one example. This was I think this was a hundred and fifty thousand dollar sell um, to some guys up in New York, and I forget the name of the company now. Um, but they um, they actually had reached out to us. They saw our website and saw we had some products they thought they could work into a system. Um, and conveyor systems are really, you know, kind of when I started doing uh, selling conveyor systems, I knew nothing about them at all. I just knew how to sell. And they're incredibly complex. Um, you don't think about it. But if you walk into like a Walmart distribution facility or Amazon where they ship stuff out or UPS, man, those places are engineering feats. They're really impressive. So when people call up and see, hey, I saw y'all had these six pieces of equipment listed on your website. I'd like to buy them from you. Like It's the start of a big conversation. All right, what are you using them for? How are you using it? Will this fit? Have you engineered the whole system out? So 
going through this process with this customer, they were calling about this equipment. I think it was twenty or thirty thousand dollars worth of stuff. Uh, and we started asking questions, and it was apparent that they had no idea what they were doing. Um, so after the call, after I knew it, their end result, so we started with the end result. After I knew what they wanted to get, after I knew the end result of what they wanted, they wanted to move some pallets along this conveyor system and to start and stop them based on the pallets in front of them so that they needed some intelligent conveyor that would know how to do all that. I put together this PowerPoint presentation and recorded a, a screencast of it, and it showed exactly how it would work along the way uh, because it was kind of hard even me knowing what I was selling it was hard for me to wrap my brain out wrap my brain around how it would actually work so I just showed them I showed them how it would work via this simulation thing that I hacked together with PowerPoint and Camtasia uh, so I put the PowerPoint and, like hit play and it was this animated really hacked together thing that showed it to them uh, and then I just recorded the process and talked through the whole thing I said all right if you're gonna set a palette here it's going to run until the very end, and then this photo eye is going to hit it, and it's going to stop. But then if you put another pallet on the very end, it's going to go all the way to the end of this pallet. And if you pull the one off the end, this one's going to go forward, but the one's on the very end. Basically, we don't want pallets running off the end of the conveyor. We want them to stop, but we want the entire conveyor belt to fill up with pallets without the end one moving. But that was kind of hard to explain in a 15-minute phone conversation without us getting completely lost. So we hung up the phone. I spent the next three hours putting together this thing and sent them a video, and they immediately came back with a PO for the order. So the, the I guess, lesson out of that was showing and not telling. And that kind of goes back to the, to the pitch thing we talked about earlier, but mm-hmm. I wasn't giving them the conveyor. I was just showing them how it would work. And that's worked, that's worked in building cells. Like I've done models of how changing out this one beam, which is a $30,000 upsell for us, changing out this one beam, would make the house look better and would make it, you know, hold more load in the second story. So the showing thing has always kind of been throughout the selling process for me. Probably a second thing is patience. Um, the higher dollar the sell, the longer it takes. And a lot of salesmen, from my experience, just give up way too soon. What's the sales um, cycle like for a product like that usually? Conveyor systems, uh, I mean, the, the biggest conveyor system I sold, it was probably an eight-month eight month sell cycle. Okay, a lot of patients. Um, yeah, and sometimes they're really quick. Like one sell, I still keep up with a few buddies that work there. They just sold a $10 million system. Um, and just for um, perspective a little bit, the salesman will get paid 10% commission on that. Nice. That's a, a million-dollar sell. I mean, that's a, like, and those just don't come up. But that took probably four to five years. To like from very first conversation to end of sales cycle was five to six years and tons of free work, tons of engineering work and bidding things out and all that. So yeah, it, it can be it can be a long a long time. Um, there was another point I was going to make that I forgot now, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Let me know if it comes back up. But yeah. you know, you wrote one blog post about how you outsource critical tasks at Video Fruit. Can you explain? Um, I don't, I don't remember what is the exact post, but I'm going through that right now. So one thing that I've done the last month or two is try to have more fun with business just overall. Um, like it's really like, but my life, every job I've ever had has been a grind and it's been something that's been kind of interesting and fun and it paid well, but was like, I could never say I really had fun with that. Like that wasn't a good time. So I could easily just go back and do more stuff. That's a grind. Uh, but a video fruit, like it's supposed to be fun. Like I'm doing my own thing. It's way more work than I've ever done. But like I enjoy it. But am I having fun? Like every Friday at the end of the day, um, can I can I really say I'm having fun? So anyway, over the last month, I've been thinking about that a lot. A lot. 
and I've been trying to get back to doing things that are fun. And I enjoy teaching. That's cool. Um, service work, less fun. So I've been getting away from doing that. And this is an experimentation process. But one thing I found that I really like doing is building software. Um, like that's really fun. Like I really enjoy it. It's cool sketching something out on a piece of paper and a month later or a week later having that thing live in real life. So I want to start building software at Video Fruit again. Nothing massive yet. Uh, I have some ideas of some cool stuff I could build, but just lightweight stuff, you know, lightweight tools and things that can help people grow their business. So I've been getting back into outsourcing because I don't want to code that stuff. But I really enjoyed designing it roughing it out, the high-level engineering of how stuff's going to flow, kind of the user experience side of things. Uh, so my process for that is, I don't know, what part do you want, the hiring process or the management process or the QA process? Yeah. You, I could kind that's, of go that's, that's, a whole, that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? So you know, yeah, yeah. let's start with, you know, for, for I think what will provide the most utility is where do you go exactly to find talent for these specific things? Sure. So I have just a list of sites. There's no magic spot. Um, I just hired a guy yesterday. And I used Elance for it, you know, and I have a one of the products I sell is called the Contractors Rolodex, and it's a list of all the contractors I use. But I have, I have a few programmers in there, and they were all booked up, and the one I usually use doesn't do Chrome extensions, which this new thing I'm building is going to be a Chrome extension. Uh, so I just wound up hiring a fresh guy. So I went to Elance for that, but I posted a job ad on Elance, on Odesk, uh, and there's a couple others that I don't know the names of. I have a list of them that I just click through, and I'll write the ad. And then go to six or seven different sites and publish the ad in all the different sites. Um, so, but any of the regulars, I mean, it's less about where you post it and more about what your vetting process is as far as finding quality people. Um, and you, you can't, I mean, you can't go read the four hour work week and think you can post one ad and hire a guy to build a, a $50,000 piece of software for you. And it's going to be any kind of good at all. One, because you don't even know what you're doing. Like, if it's your first thing to ever do, first piece of software to ever, you know, put together, you know, you don't even know the questions to ask. You don't, you don't know anything about it to direct them at all. And if you're trying to find the cheapest person and you don't know what you're doing, it's not going to work. I can just tell you right now, like you're completely wasting your money. Uh, so start extremely small and slowly learn, slowly build up the more complex stuff or else you're going to waste a bunch of money and, and think the guy's an idiot when really you're the idiot, not him. Okay. You know, let's let's give one example. You know, you know, you talked about the vetting process. You know, what's one thing you do to make sure they actually know their stuff? Yeah, give them a small job. Like at the end of the day, you can have Skype conversations with them. You can see their portfolio. They could have done a job that's almost identical to yours. All that's great, but ask them to do something. Ask them to do a small job. So, for instance, if you're trying to hire a writer, um, you know, that's something that I found to be extremely, like, probably the hardest thing to hire for is a writer. Yep. Uh, maybe it's because I'm just more picky there or something, but it's way easier to hire programmers and designers and everybody else, but writers for some reason is really hard. So I've gone through that cycle several times without finding anybody, but I'm going through it again here soon, and I've put out a few ads, and I'm starting getting candidates. And uh, what I ask them to do is I want you to write this article, and I'm not going to pay you. The top three I'll pay you X number of dollars for, and the winner I'll pay this amount of money for. But if I get 50 applicants, I'm not paying all 50 of you. So I'll go through a three-tier process. First, I'll put a job ad out, and then I'll ask them to fill out a Google form. And the Google form will just ask them basic questions about their self, their Skype ID, their email address, who have you worked for, a couple of samples of your work. And honestly, I don't really pay attention to much of that at all. Uh, but anybody that takes the time to fill it out, and the whole purpose of that, that second step is just to give them 15 minutes or so of work. Um, that, that will be informative to me, but is in no way the determining factor. Uh, and then anybody that takes the time to fill that out, I'll send them 
an assignment and I'll describe it and be fully transparent with them and tell them, hey, um, this is what I'm doing. I've had 55 people apply and I would like, the only way I can know who to hire is for you to do some work for me. So if you don't want to do work, no problem, no, no worries, no hard feelings, just drop out now. But if you do, here's what I need you to do. Here's an outline of the post. Here is the overall theory of what I want you to teach. And here's a few samples of the, the tone and the style that I want you to have. Write this and turn it in within three days. And then I just look at the finished post and see which one looks the best. So it's the, it's the showing thing again. Like It's way easier. It's easy for somebody to tell you what they can do. But if they show you what they can do, that is the determining factor. Um, so I give them just a small, simple job that they do for free, and I only award the people that do the best job on it. And that will tell you who's the best. Like who, Because there's a lot of factors in who you hire. It isn't just their finished work. It's communication between you. It's response time, quality of work. There's several things that come into play, and the only way you can know how good that's going to be is through actually working with them. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's you know, a lot of uh, people in the Silicon Valley world talk about, you know, trial week and talk about, you know, giving them, giving them just a homework assignment. You know, I, I did the same thing too, and it speaks volumes. You know, some people can interview really well, and some people, you know, will just suck at the work. So I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah, I could uh, give a crap about a resume. Like, it, doesn't matter. Like, it matters zero. Because <laughs> like, yeah. the only thing that matters is can you do the work? Are you a good fit? Like if, okay. and if, like if you're getting back to core focus, if that's your one focus thing, can you do the work, then focus on the work. Don't worry about what they've done in the past. Like it just matters. It doesn't matter at all. Yep. Cool. So what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? <laughs> oh, man. Um, it depends on if I guess if I go high level or low level. Um, i tell you the one thing. I don't know. I, those questions I have a hard time answering. But let me tell you one thing that's just kind of fat, blown me away recently um, is that there isn't a college degree in how to build and profit from an email list. Like that, that you can't get a degree in email list. Like it's just crazy. Like it's the single. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of different business models. It's the single most effective sales tool I've ever seen. And I've been in B2B. And you've been in crazy sales. You've been doing, you know, you've been selling high value products. So. It's insane. Like that you can send an email and make ten thousand dollars and I have a clue what you're doing and I have a product that's really kind of too broad, which is what my product was, is just nuts. Like that's I've never seen and I've sold millions of dollars of stuff. I've never sent an email and made ten thousand dollars until a month ago. Like and that that's nuts. That just that's just crazy. Yeah. Like in the whole like I know a ton of teachers, for instance that teach in normal elementary and high schools and are great teachers, way better teachers than me. And they're making 30, 40, 50, maybe if they're a principal, they'll make 100 grand a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and that'd be being paid extremely well. They could take that exact same skill set, teach online, build an email list, and make 10x that. Yep. And that, that, I guess the thing I would tell 25-year-old Brian is one, just experiment with a bunch of crap. Like one, because that's the only way you're going to find what you're happy, what makes you happy, and what gives you joy in doing. And two, you know, use an email list to sell. Like figure out how to build an email list, pay attention to people that are doing it, try to figure out how to do the same thing with whatever makes you happy. Um, because not everybody wants to, like I'm kind of in the internet marketing space, which kind of rubs me the wrong way right now, even though it's valuable. And it's really just me being selfish and teaching myself. But you can apply the email list how to build an email list and sell from an email list to any market that exists and do better probably than what you're doing now. Then versus like, right, my old technique was make a list of the hundred people in your market and go cold call them. 
you know, that, that works, but work, what works better is having them come to you because it flips the context of the entire relationship and it makes them want to pay you versus you going to them and trying to convince them to pay you. Love it's a completely it. different dynamic. Yep, love it. And, you know, I'm nowhere near the 10K mark right now, so there's a lot I have to learn from you. We can talk about that later. But um, what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Oh, I call it the zero-based calendar. And I got this, uh, we were on the Dave Ramsey plan before I quit the job, and we are trying to pay off our debt. And 47 months, $18,000 later, we, or $80,000 later, we paid off all our debt. Uh, but we did that every month by having a zero-based budget. And what that meant was every month uh, before the month began, you wrote down every dollar you were going to make, every dollar you were going to spend on paper, on purpose before the month began. And at the very bottom was a zero. So even if it was below $200 at Old Navy, like make that as a line item, spend $800 on Auburn football tickets. Like you just had to admit to what you're doing. Like, but you can blow it. You can do anything you want to with it. Just admit to it and at the very end make it be zero. So I use that same tactic for, for productivity. It's called the zero-based calendar. So every day before the day starts, on paper, on purpose, before the day begins, I write down what I'm going to do every hour of the day. And sometimes it works. Sometimes, sometimes it goes exactly like I planned. Sometimes it doesn't. But every day I have to admit to what I'm doing. And it's interesting if you combine that singular focus, 75 email subscribers, with being intentional with every minute of your day, it makes you ask the question when you look at your calendar before the day starts, do I have anything even planned that works towards 75? Like, do I have, does anything on this paper, that's my number one most important thing, do, am I actually doing anything towards that? And if not, let's cancel some stuff, let's get off the mastermind, and let's go spend two hours on building the email list, writing stuff, researching stuff, putting the game plan together. So I have a more structured system now, but the baseline of it is every day before the day starts, I align my goals with every minute of the day and make sure every minute is, is, is taken up. And if stuff happens, stuff happens. Like if I need to move stuff around, I move stuff around. Like I'm not 100% holding to it, but I have to be intentional about it. And that's caused my productivity to go up substantially and to, to spend time doing the things that working towards the goals I want to work towards and not getting sidetracked with all the other crap. Love it. Cool. So, you know, I think, I think we'll have to share that as a content upgrade. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, you know, that's something we'll have to share with the audience. Um, you know, I'll get a little more details from you afterwards. But um, final question. And you can go to zerobasecalendar.com. And okay. It'll take you to the blog post where I wrote about that and kind of describe the process. Okay. We'll drop that in the links for sure. Um, so what's, what's one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience? Hmm. It's a good question. I got two. Uh, the first one will not be one you're expecting at all. Um, if you're religious, if you're not religious at all, I don't give a crap. <laughs> read the Bible. And honestly, don't read any kind of crazy trends. This is like a, it was, this was written for kindergartners. And I've been going through it for the past month. And I'm a Christian, so that's something I do anyway. Um, but I never really read it regularly. So whatever your religion is, who cares? Read Proverbs. There's 30 of them. Read one every day. It's the most freaking genius book you've ever read. Like, it's just smart stuff. There's a dude named Solomon who the Bible says was the smartest guy that ever lived. If he was or if he existed or not, who cares? But he said some really smart stuff, and a lot of it is about business. A lot of it is about money management, and a lot of it is principles of how you should treat people in business and in life. And all that stuff makes a massive difference. So that's one that people probably don't want, but read anyway, even if you haven't, even if you're not a Christian, go read it. The second one, I just read this recently. I don't know if it would be a top book, but it's one that's kind of in my mind right now. 
and it's called the Ultimate Sales Machine. And I forget the guy's name, but Chet he really Holmes. Chet Holmes, yeah. yeah. It gives, it's a really tactical book. Like there's a lot of stuff that's high level out there because that stuff's easier to write and you don't have to know what you're talking about near as much to write high level stuff. But it's the most tactical sales book I've ever seen, especially if you want to get into service-based business or if you want to quit your day. Like if your number one goal is to quit your day job and the easiest way to do that is starting a service-based business. Go read The Ultimate Sales Machine and just do what it says. It's extremely good. So extremely tactical. So high level, read Proverbs. Low level ultimate sales machine on tactics. I love it. So Brian Harris, you know, I think there's a lot more to talk about in another episode, but uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Yep, and everyone, this is Brian from videofruit.com. Make sure you go check out his explainer video. So uh, Brian, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, man. If you're interested in growing your revenues online and you're tired of ho-hum agency work, then it might be time to check out Single Grain. Single Grain is a digital marketing agency ran by yours truly that has helped venture back startups to fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online check out single grain at www.singlegrain.com grow to get a free resource on eight marketing campaigns that we've used to help companies grow their revenues online including the one that drove over 1500 percent return on investment Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.